This is Jeffrey Arend, and welcome to today's Flying Talkers. Workers in the fields of life sciences and transportation are laboring diligently as we speak to cover the COVID-19 vaccine and researching the means of moving that vaccine to restore the balance of normal life all over the world. We're going to talk about that a little bit today, and then later we're going to talk about a great reporter, somebody who I looked up to as a kid, first breaking into the business at the New York Herald Tribune. His name was Pete Hamill, and if you don't know him, he's somebody you should know. The name of that piece is A Thinking Man's Life. So thanks for joining us today, and once again, welcome to Flying Talkers, and we'll be right back. Flying Talkers 2020 is brought to you by the people of ATC, simply the best GSSA in the transportation business. ATC today delivers the global airline cargo business the fastest growing, most respected general service and sales organization in the world. ATC Can Do Difference creates for all ideal situations designed by people working together to win. To discover what ATC can bring to your business anywhere in the world, contact HQ at atc-aviation.com or take a look and reach out at www.atc-aviation.com or you can call at 490-6969-80530. ATC, one world one global air cargo GSSA. While awaiting deliverance from the dreaded global pandemic concerned people looking for daylight from life sciences to transportation that Flying Typers has spoken to recently in our ongoing coverage are dedicated, hoping that their efforts will be successful in restoring the balance of normal life all over the world. Word up in USA from our pharma sources is that deadlines to save lives is uppermost as companies have committed vast resources to developing not only serums, but also to securing the vials to carry the precious liquids to people everywhere. So in terms of getting ready to carry relief to billions in an extremely high charge moment in time, the path to that long awaited shot in the arm the world yearns for comes in sharper focus consensus of what is needed and likely to occur as we move forward in 2020 will require quite a bit of work and broad cooperation from everybody in all disciplines moving ahead. There are many steps leading up to and advancing the distribution of life-saving vaccine, a farmer so told Flying Talkers. First and foremost, we need a vaccine. But before that happens, the process involves a lot of moving parts, including syringes, glass vials, stoppers, and other needed components as we move forward delivering the antidote. The supply chain, we're told, now plays a vital role in this effort. 
while vast resources to find serum for COVID-19 are at work, and most headlines are given to that effort, heavyweights like Pfizer are investing heavily across the board, while others, including Moderna, reportedly are betting the company on delivering a vaccine. In total, nine companies are racing to find the vaccine. With the knowledge that the world could require more than 16 billion glass tubing vials and stoppers that can be utilized to carry the serum around the world, Pfizer in late May signed a long-term agreement with glassmaker Corning Incorporated to secure large quantities of Valor glass vials. Corning had received $204 million in U.S. government funding to expand production a day after the U.S. awarded $143 million to privately held SIO2 materials science to boost the production of its vials and syringes. In an interview with Reuters, Pfizer said it is adding shifts to its plants, stockpiling its current drugs, and shifting production of drugs to outside contractors to free up its own manufacturing capacity to focus on the COVID-19 vaccine. Now as the day for reckoning approaches, word up we hear is that across the world, there are multiple teams working on various forms of vaccines. More than one company will be successful in developing the vaccine is the consensus of thought. Manufacturing, we're told, will come from different countries. Likewise, the effort to immunize the global population. As example, these words from Harvard Business Review. Quote, Gavi, spelled G-A-V-I, the Vaccine Alliance, has been working since year 2000 to address vaccine equity and hopes to vaccinate nearly half of the world's children. Over the last two decades, Harvard Business Review reports, it has supported 496 vaccine programs and in the 73 poorest countries has helped supply them with more than 600 million vaccine doses every year. That's Gavi. Global cooperation will be required, the Harvard Business Review said, at least for the first 8 to 12 months after COVID-19 vaccine becomes available, it is likely there will be only a limited supply to meet global demand, HBR said. Consequently, there needs to be a global agreement on allocating stocks to countries around the world. That's a direct quote. Consequently, there needs to be an agreement on allocating stocks to countries around the world. The report also emphasized the importance of establishing reliable supply chains. The report ended by saying the time to prepare for globally distributing a COVID-19 vaccine in a way that is effective and equitable is right now. Yeah, I said it twice before, but you can't say it enough. Now, the good doctor, Anthony, Dr. Anthony Fauci said, cost, distribution system, cold chain requirements, and delivery of widespread coverage are all potential constriction points in the eventual delivery of vaccines to, to individuals and communities. Experts believe two doses of vaccine will be needed. It's important to realize that the vaccine in a two-dose delivery will be produced over a period of time to serve eight billion people in the world. 
of vital importance will be those millions of doses delivered safely every place they need to be. The challenge will be in all phases to shorten the timeline for delivery as much as possible. A vaccine, we're told, needs the coverage and will demand reaching all corners of the world in order to effectively combat the virus. According to Seth Barkley, CEO of the aforementioned Gavi, quote, he said, we have a global problem that requires a global solution. The need here is the best science in the world. We need the best manufacturing in the world. And obviously we're going to require industry from around the world to engage. If we have anybody left over anywhere as a reservoir of this demonic virus, it not only threatens them, but it threatens the world. So in other words, according to Gavi, to Barkley, and to everybody else, you got to get all. You got to get it out, and you got to, once you engage the battle to rid the world of COVID-19 to protect people, we have to go all the way. So getting the serum where it has to be will be absolutely paramount, and it's going to take time. Think about some of those countries in Africa and the difficulties of shipping transborders and some other things going on. It's going to be a world solution we'll be looking for. Gavi, as you read this or listen to this from me, is working with distribution companies such as UPS and some other integrators and some other companies to come up with solutions and is also looking into drone technology to deliver equipment. Well, as we read it, air cargo, both leading up to and after the answer to COVID-19 is delivered, is entering into a period of time that will be remembered as defining who we are as an industry, as measured by our ability to deliver the biggest, most sought-after consignments during the greatest global airlift in history. If history proves one thing, it's that what happens once is oft-repeated. In New York, we like to say what goes around comes around. It's that way in both war and peace. As an example, the Berlin Airlift in 1948 taught the world an entire city population plus could be supplied by air with everything from milk to coal to diapers for an entire year. That's back in the day when the pilots could throw Hershey bars out the window of an airplane landing at 150 miles an hour at Tempelhof or Tegel. Wonderful pictures and memories of people in Berlin I've spoken to of that particular time. And prior to that, in 1942, the China-India-Burma hump flights moved avgas and tires and ammunitions and foodstuffs and all kinds of supplies from Assam, India, when the Burma road was closed, over the Himalayas, the tallest mountain range in the world, to Kunming, China, to supply the Flying Tigers, American AVG fighter pilots. Those day and night 24-7 flights in and out of Tempelhof, Berlin, every few minutes, and the Curtis Commando C-46 movements to China against daunting odds, inspired formation of modern-day air cargo. Our business came directly from that particular time because post-World War II, former military pilots and others in USA and elsewhere started up cargo airlines, utilizing many of the same aircraft that had served in both theaters during the war. Now, as the moment of truth approaches, we are again on the doorstep of a mission that will surely see a concentrated 
and concerned world turning to air cargo to deliver vaccine and hope to every part of the planet. I just step back a minute and imagine all those thousands of airplanes neatly parked in and out of hangars at airports up and down taxiways around the world. You've seen the pictures. You've seen the heartbreak, the loss of income, uh, airlines on the rocks, all kinds of terrible things have been happening, not only to our, our industry, but everywhere. But imagine all these airplanes springing to life again, or at least a good number of them answering the call. Imagine, imagine the eyes and ears of millions of people on earth looking skyward, inspired by this thing we call air cargo and what that might mean to our industry and to the imagination of people that are seeing this happen, what it might mean in years ahead. Hey friend, do it again. This is Jeffrey Aaron. This extraordinarily sad year, all over the world, where we've heard horror stories one after another of people out of time, out of luck, the losses to the pandemic, the destruction of lives, things happening that none of us could have imagined, thought only existed in science fiction films. Maybe we should have paid more attention to the science fiction films. What do you think? There was another loss just recently. Granted, Pete Hamill was an old man when he died. He was 85, he had a pretty good run, he had a pretty tough life. But I'd like to tell you his story. Somebody who affected us personally was a great reporter, great inspiration, and I'd like you to know about him. That'll be next. Pete Hamill has died. I used to go out to Ebbets Field with my family where the Brooklyn Dodgers played on Flatbush Avenue in Brooklyn. And I guess I was about 12 years old, so Hamill would have been about 19, maybe 20 at that time. And it was during the 1950s, and what I recall about it was, of course, I didn't know Hamill then. Nobody did. He was a kid. I was a kid. He was an Irish kid growing up in Brooklyn. I was growing up uh, across the uh, way in, in, in uh, Glendale, Queens. But we ran into each other in later life when I went to work my first job in a newspaper at the New York Herald Tribune. And we weren't friends. I was the kid. He was the older guy. He was the star reporter along with some other guys. But he was a great influence on me, and I want to share his life a little bit with you because this guy was a great reporter. He's one of a string of great reporters that have worked. At one time, we had nine daily newspapers here in New York, and he's gone, and I want to tell you about his life. He, he was a reporter who covered everything from boxing to religion. He once wrote, 
I don't ask for the meaning of the song of a bird or the rising of the sun on a misty morning. In 2020, the city that he loved, as much as he could, weeps for his loss. To my mind, Pete was the greatest and most heartfelt chronicler of New York City life. He talked about and wrote about New York in the most revealing yet romantic tales during an era that gave us Tom Wolfe, Jimmy Breslin, Norman Mailer. Well, Hamill lived to be 85 before he fell down at home seven or eight days ago, broke a hip, went into the hospital. That's the end of the story. But Hamill outlasted them all, as I mentioned before, including Frank Sinatra. Once he wrote a book about titled Why Sinatra Matters. If you only read one Hamill, try that one. Because you can listen to the music and <laughs> listen, to the, listen to what the man had to say. Pete also outlasted several New York newspapers, most of them for whom he worked, including the New York Herald Tribune, where I knew him, as I mentioned, in 1960. Along the way, the Brooklyn-born bard wrote column after column where he poured his soul into his words and his city as his last newspaper, the New York Daily News, wrote in a moving tribute last week. Hamill led the high life for sure, married a couple times and dated movie stars Shirley MacLaine and other famous people, and until he went on the wagon in 1972, was part of a rat pack of hard Irish drinkers that after deadline would gather in Blake's, located on 40th Street, a couple doors away from the New York Herald Tribune presses. Blake's overlooked the garage that housed the trucks that would speed down the block past the bar and the Metropolitan Opera House that was located there at that time on the corner to deliver the trib hot off the presses to newsstands all over the city. I was a copy boy and all the Irish guys were belly up. Breslin, Jimmy Breslin, Pete Hamill, Walt Kelly. He drew Pogo, the cartoon. Jim Ryan, who was in New York, uh, I think he was on NBC. They were all situated behind their Guinness Stouts and Bushmills. My job was to be mostly invisible and run between the joint and the presses to check on the issues and just basically be a gopher. Hamill was always the most interesting and inspirational because he took time to explain things. Breslin was tough and Walt Kelly was always pleasant, but Pete was like a big brother. He was quite direct and clear thinking, and he spoke in simple sentences. As an example, when he, when he wrote his monumental uh, observational memorabilia, and I guess autobiography called A Drinking Life in 1994, somebody asked him how he managed to quit drinking cold turkey in 1972. And he said simply, quote, I had no talent for it, end quote. When I asked him how it was possible, despite the best efforts of Jock Whitney, that's one of the Whitney rich people, and a staff of writers like Walter Lippmann and the aforementioned Irish crew at the New York Herald Tribune, how is it possible that paper was folding for $6 million when it went out of business in the late 60s? It was a matter of five or $6 million, which seems like in today's, today's money, like chump change, although I guess... It, it, it would be multiplied by the years. Well, Pete said simply, the Pressman's Union finally put the paper under. They didn't care what they printed, he said, be it the Tribune or birthday cards. It was always about the money, period. 
To this day, every time a newspaper is on the rocks, I recall Pete's words. Now the digital age has made it possible to keep up with news for those of us who still like to read all about it, as the newspaper boys used to yell out, Hawking Corner newspapers. But now we fire up an electronic edition that we look at on a tablet, on our phone, on a Kindle, on a desktop. Certainly, some word that COVID-19 might live on newsprint for some hours, whether true or not, is also concerning at a time when you wonder if a head cold or allergies are an early signal of the final curtain. In my case, I read digital everything, and we even quarantine incoming magazine subscriptions on our back porch for a day or two before bringing them inside. My New York Daily News arrives daily digital as well. But I miss the touch and the feel of a newspaper. You know, we published Air Cargo News for 25 years as a tabloid newspaper, and we did it at a press called Patent Trader up in Westchester County, New York, about 45 minutes from New York City. That press was owned by Gannett that only allowed us nobody publishers into their shop because we were pioneering the use of editorial and advertising color in 1976, and they were launching their own global daily, USA Today, which you see all over the world, in 1978, and wanted to teach their pressmen how to correctly register color on newsprint. Even though it may seem far-fetched today, 40 years ago, if you wanted to print something on paper newsprint, you had to register four plates that were all spinning on the presses at the same time to register the four colors in a picture. So it was had, before it became every day, it almost was like an art going back some time. And it wasn't so easy to do all the time. But we were trying it in 1976 because, frankly, I came across a picture of a Concord that I thought, wouldn't it be neat to run this picture in, 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 in uh, Air Cargo News? As a, uh, as a color picture. I remember when they were trying to register it, I even went into the press room and picked up some papers off the press, you know, the way they do to check to see how things are printing. And I stopped and I yelled, stop the press, stop the press. And they actually did it. I think to be perfectly honest, that was probably at the point we were, uh, yeah, we were pretty close to being thrown out of that printer because it's a very expensive thing to stop the press, especially for color. But as mentioned, when it comes to today, uh, receiving our print edition of the Daily News uh, has just not gone on anymore. So we lessen the possibility of something jumping off of a page and doing us in. But curiously, uh, the day, I say I still get the digital, but curiously the day that, that uh, my friend uh, Pete Hamill passed away. I woke up and I walked outside for my sun-up run, and there, out of the blue, 
completely out of the ordinary because it wasn't happening every day. It was a folded copy of the Daily News and the headline, A Thinking Life, was visible. And I knew right away it was Pete. I knew right away he was gone just from the headline. The pages of the newspaper for the past week in New York and magazines and all across uh, YouTube, if you look up Pete Hamill's name, you'll come across some of his speeches and some things that really endeared him to millions of people. Well, they're filled with tributes. And as I read through the live newspaper, when it came in hand that day, I sat right down and read it. Forgot about the early run. It all came back as the way to read all about it. So I guess what I'm going to do now from now on is figure out a way to open up that paper and sit down with it and my early morning coffee. Uh, maybe I'll have to put myself in some kind of a vacuum suit to do it, but uh, uh, just what it felt like to have a newspaper in hand all came back as a way to read all about it. Thanks, Pete. This is Jeffrey Aaron. Well, we had a little nostalgia today. Talked to an old-time reporter, only in our dreams. About another time, another place, brought back some fond memories of the boys of summer and when we were boys a long, long time ago. That doesn't hurt. Like I always will say, sure better than a punch in the nose. And we looked ahead a little bit to perhaps some salvation from all this lockdown pandemic bad news where everyone knows somebody that's been affected and sometimes in the worst possible way but we keep positive we look forward to the air cargo business coming back remaining strong as it's been through this pandemic and showing the way for everyone to a better day so for your time this time until next time this is jeffrey aaron saying thanks for listening And keep them flying air cargo. Be good to each other, will you? Goodbye.